Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello and welcome to episode number 97 of the Draft Analyst, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? I'm your host, Chris Tripodi, and joining me, as always, is Tony Pauline. With week 13 of the college football season in the rearview mirror, and only one top 10 team going down this week, that's Justin Herbert and the previously sixth-ranked Oregon Ducks, a game we'll actually touch on briefly in just a little bit. But this upcoming weekend is the last one where the majority of FBS teams will be in action. After that, we'll have the conference championships and the bowl games. But before we get into football, Tony, it's Thanksgiving week. What are you doing for the holidays? Well, doing the same thing I've done for years. I actually go to the parade in the morning. Uh, so everybody say a prayer that the winds stay down, a prayer to the wind gods, whichever is your, uh, <clears throat> your preference. So we go, to the, we go to the parade in the morning, and then we, have, uh, we actually have Thanksgiving at my house. Uh, light crowd this year, only about 15 people. Last year we had 30, but it's always a lot of fun. How about yourself? Oh, well, we usually go, if we spend the time with my family, we go to my aunt's house. If we spend the time with my in-laws, it can kind of be up in the air. We are going to the in-laws this year, going up to Elmira, about a four or five hour drive north of New York City for those who don't know. And I would assume most people don't know too much about the general geography of New York, but we'll be going up there. I think uh, her sister will be cooking us dinner. So that'll be nice. It'll be an even smaller gathering than yours. You have 15 people. We're going to have like eight people, 10 people, something like that, maybe even less. And then we might go elsewhere for dessert where there might be a few more people. And you're traveling four hours, when I, or five hours. When I say I'm going to the parade, I'm going to the one and only Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. This will actually be my 24th consecutive year attending that great uh, parade. So looking forward to it. And it's just you and your daughter that usually go, right? Your wife doesn't come along? My wife stays home and cooks. Uh, now my daughter and, and some of her friends, yeah. Very cool. And uh, we'll move on here from our Thanksgiving endeavors into our week 13 reviews. But before we do that, a word from our sponsor. Now, Tony and I have never used a dating app in our lives. Although if you listened to our show last week, you know, Tony has probably already signed up. While we may lack firsthand experience in the modern dating world, we can still be a help for you, our listeners. Obviously, it can get pretty frustrating trying to hit that first note, as Chris can attest to, that first communication online with someone you're interested in. So how do you break the ice and stand out without looking stupid? Oh, I don't know. For, for that, there's a new app that's called Charmed. It actually helps men communicate better. Now, luckily, I don't have to deal with hitting that first note or anything like that. But if I did, Charmed would use both my friends and professionals to give me advice tailored to any matches that I might find on the site. The most common opening lines on dating sites geared towards women are, hey, and you're beautiful. If you're a woman on the receiving end, do you really want to hear you're beautiful for the 1,000th time, even if Tony wants to hear that? (laughs) So guys, you got to get on Charmed immediately. It'll make your dating life so much easier. Just ask Chris. Girls are looking for a reason to skip you. Just ask Chris. The people at Charmed are professionals who have come up with a way for you to be classy, unique, sophisticated, and interesting. If my wife listens to this, she's going to want me to get this app. And that's how you're going to get dates. Hurry up and visit www.charmed.app to get Charmed. Your future matches will thank you. 
If that's the case, Tony, you really did find the right woman. Here you go. <laughs> so we'll move along to last week's action. We talked on our last show about Purdue tight end Bryson Hopkins facing his biggest test before the senior bowl against the Wisconsin defense. And he came through big time in this one. Eight catches, 127 yards, and two touchdowns. Both of those scores came in the first half. One was on a trick play double pass behind the line of scrimmage where he was wide open. He did slow down a bit after the break, but I'm sure Paul Chris made some halftime adjustments to make sure that Hopkins wasn't going to hurt them as badly as he did early on. Didn't see much of Chris Orr or Zach Vaughn in coverage against Hopkins, but he'd have been too athletic for each of those guys regardless. He's quick out of his breaks, makes smooth transitions from catch to yards after catch, good speed with the ball in his hands, maintains possession through contact and physicality. Hopkins showed me a lot this week, Tony, and for him, it's next stop, Mobile. I mean, he's a guy who has gotten progressively better and better on the field. He actually did beat uh, Chris Orr, I want to say late second, early third quarter. I'm not sure exactly where, which, when it was in the game, but I was watching it, and he beat Chris Orr badly. Uh, Orr just misdiagnosed the play, and, and Hopkins ran behind him. You know, like you said, or you alluded to, Purdue is not having a good season. Unlike last year, they're not going to be in a bowl game. But Hopkins shows up every week, and he's improved his game. And what he's done is he's turned his athleticism into football skill. And here's a guy who wasn't a starter in 2018, yet came into the season graded as early as a third-round pick by a number of scouts. So if he goes to the Senior Bowl and he shows big-time skill or he just continues to show the big-time skill that he's shown uh, during the 2019 season and then he tests well at the combine and testing well means, you know, uh, jumping in the mid to high 30s, running in the low four sixes. I absolutely think there's a very good possibility that Hopkins uh, slides into that third round, especially given the weak tight end class. Now, another pass catcher who faced a tough test this week was Pitt's Taysier Mack against Virginia Tech. His running mate, though, Maurice French, leading receiver on the Panthers football team, warmed up for this one but didn't play. Missed his second straight game with a jaw injury. Mack, though, three catches for 18 yards, an exact replica of his October 26 line against Miami. And really, in this game, he had no chance against a talented secondary with a scattershot accuracy quarterback in Kevin Pickett. Pickett was under siege all game. This was kind of like we saw a couple weeks ago when we watched Jamie Newman and Wake Forest go up against the Virginia Tech defense. The Hokies were just dominant in this one. I called him Kevin Pickett. His name's actually Kenny Pickett, but he only had 10 completions in this game. Caleb Farley played well again, continued to play physical football, good play recognition. I do worry a bit about his click and close ability from off coverage, but that may be a situation where because of his physicality and his style of play, he's not playing off coverage as often as some other corners may be. But in the end, it looks like not having French really caught up to Pitt, although I'm not sure this game would have been any different if French played. What about you, Tony? Yeah, I think it's also uh, the end result of a Virginia Tech team that has played better and better. And really, Celeb Farley's play has paralleled that. I mean, early in the season, they lost to Boston College, a team that's going nowhere. Two games later, after beating up on some smaller school teams, they lost to Duke, that's going nowhere. They beat Miami. They squeaked by Rhode Island. I mean, a game that was uh, closer than the score of 34 to 17, squeaked by North Carolina. And then after a close loss to uh, Notre Dame, they beat up on Wake Forest. They beat up on Georgia Tech and, and they beat up on Pitt. And, you know, I'm not really worried about Celeb Farley 
playing it backed off the line of scrimmage, playing a man off coverage because I think he's going to be a very good bump and run corner. And, you know, I, I think the fact is, is that he just physically overmatches opponents as we saw Saturday. And, you know, they continually get better. Big game this weekend against Virginia. Big interstate rivalry. You know that Virginia Tech's going to want to win that game. Virginia's had a decent season. Uh, the winner of this game will win the Coastal Division and will earn a berth in the uh, ACC title game. So this is going to be another really big game to watch, another big challenge for Slug Farley as well as the Virginia Tech Hokies. Now we'll stick in the ACC here, and we're going to have a quick moment of silence for the Miami Hurricanes football program. Okay, that was it. This is not a new phenomenon. Obviously, this hasn't been the same Miami program of the 80s and 90s that we've seen over the past decade plus. But this past weekend, lost against Florida International 30-24. to The game was not as close as the score would tell you. They were down 23-3 early in the fourth before a furious rally to kind of make it close at the end of the game. But in reality, it was never that close. After the game, Coach Manny Diaz called his team arrogant. This is the first time since 2015 that Miami, throughout an entire season, did not spend any time in the top 25. But enough about the Canes in this one, because FIU has a couple talented prospects to watch. Quarterback James Morgan, 16 for 30, 160 yards, two touchdowns. Those numbers don't jump off the page, but he had several bad drops. Explain that struggle in terms of completion percentage. He's a strong-arm pocket passer. Sometimes trusts his arm a little too much forcing some throws into double and triple coverage. When your guys are dropping everything, maybe that's kind of something that comes along with that as well. If you look on the defensive side of the ball, Sage Lewis, the linebacker for the Panthers, had 10 tackles in the game. Five of them were solo jobs. One interception on a tip pass. Does a nice job avoiding the trash to make plays and, and get to the ball. Tony, give us your thoughts from this one, both on the Miami program and also on some of these Panthers prospects. Well, let's go with the FIU guys first since they won the game. And like you said, I mean, they dominated. I was into this game watching it, and uh, it was never a contest. And you, you couldn't have imagined. I knew that FIU would give them a contest, but I didn't think they would dominate the way they did from the get-go. James Morgan, transferred from uh, Bowling Green, was well-liked by scouts coming into the year. He's going to be at the Shrine game. High completion percentage, just over 58%. 12 touchdowns to two interceptions. More of a game manager. He's got the size. He's got the arm strength to play at the next level. I think he's a guy who's going to get consideration in the late rounds. Solid in all areas. Not spectacular in any single aspect, but solid in all areas. Sage Lewis, the linebacker, on the other hand, is someone who's getting a lot of raves, a lot of high reviews uh, in the scouting community. Hasn't been invited to any game yet. I wouldn't be surprised if he gets an invite to a late invite to the senior ball. 63 tackles for the game. As you mentioned, his line and the Miami game had 10 tackles, had a big interception at the start of the first half as Miami hoped or tried to jump back in the game. I think it was on the first or second play from scrimmage for Miami uh, that Lewis made that interception. Has four quarterback hurries, has three interceptions uh, overall this, this uh, year. A slightly undersized run-stuffing linebacker who gets good depth on his pass drops, uh, a guy who I think can play middle linebacker in a 4-3 or, or inside linebacker in a 3-4, someone who I believe in the right system can contribute and can eventually start at the next level. And Sage Lewis was a, uh, a Week 13 riser in my column at, at Pro Football Network. Now, if you follow our game day blog, after Miami went down, I said, you know, this is the type of loss that it, if it happened 12, 15 years ago, the head coach of Miami would have been fired instantaneously. 
you don't lose to Florida International and basically get to coach the team the next week. I mean, first of all, it's been a problem with Miami because they've had no consistent play quarterback. And those great Miami teams, they always had good quarterbacks. They always had good secondaries. They have no secondary now. They lost their uh, the running back, uh, uh, Dallas. DJ Dallas, yeah. Yeah, they lost to Dallas to, to an elbow injury early in the second half. I don't think that would have made a difference. As I reported in the Pro Football Network uh, game day blog, I'm hearing that Dallas is going to enter the draft. Uh, it's just, I mean, it, like Florida State, who fired their coach, you know, a month ago, it's been a massive uh, fall from grace uh, for the Miami Hurricanes. Uh, a team that, you know, it's funny that Manny Diaz called them arrogant. Well, when they were good, they were arrogant, and they had a reason to be arrogant. And, you know, it's the, it was their arrogance that really made a lot of enemies uh, of them or, or really turned a lot of people off. But if you're arrogant and losing, uh, that's not a good thing. It's, uh, and college football, you know, wants Miami to be good because when Miami is good, there's more interest in college football. So it's been a, it's, it's tough. In a lot of ways, I'm not a Miami Hurricane fan, but it is tough to watch. And a lot of it too, there's arrogance and then there's confidence. And then there's, you know, people want to call it swagger. And these Miami teams always had swagger, but the problem is you have to back it up on the football field. If you don't, it's just cockiness. It's just arrogance. It's just noise. It's not important. And if you can't play with that level of arrogance and that level of confidence that says nobody's going to beat us, we're not going to lose to an in-state rival who is pretty much a local team in comparison and one that we beat constantly for recruits and that throughout our history, we've constantly beaten. If you can't play to that level, you don't deserve to play with that kind of arrogant attitude. And it's only going to actually hurt you in terms of backbreaking penalties and things like that, that you'll see on the field. Not, not only interstate rival, I mean, Florida internationals right down the road from uh, Miami, Florida, Coral Gables. I mean, it's, it's not that far away. So, and you know, I, I think part of the issue is, there are so many decent teams in the state of Florida, you know, whether it be Florida Atlantic with Lane Kiffin, South Florida, you know, had, uh, has had its, its share of, of shining moments in the past. Florida International has made a bowl game, I believe, that the last two years. So the competition is getting tougher and tougher and tougher to get top recruits. Central Florida, you look at where Central Florida has been the past couple of years, you know, so there's more competition for the top recruits and Miami has not been getting them. Now, we do have some news on this week's show, but before we get to that, we just want to quickly hit on Justin Herbert and Oregon losing at Arizona State. Herbert's final line on the stat sheet, 20 for 36, 304 yards, two touchdowns, and two interceptions, outplayed by his counterpart, Jaden Daniels, a freshman for the Sun Devils. The Ducks were down 24-7 midway through the fourth quarter before a kind of Miami-esque failed late rally. Two picks that Herbert threw early in the fourth quarter. One of them set up a short ASU touchdown drive. The other set up a field goal. Obviously, that field goal ended up being the difference in the game. We keep talking about Herbert needing a signature win, needing that moment that you say, okay, he's got this under control. This one feels more like a signature loss. Where are we at right now with Herbert, Tony? You know, we're at where we, you and I, have been at with Herbert for the last year. I mean, we've said for more than a year now, he's physically gifted. To his credit, plays mistake-free football, but he also plays more like a game manager than a franchise quarterback. He's like a quarterback who plays not to lose rather than win the game. He's a quarterback that needs other pieces around it, whether it be the running game, whether it be special teams, whether it be defense, to really kick it in the high gear 
for him to win the games. I mean, some of those games have been blowout wins for Oregon, but they were very close in the early portion of the game where Oregon was rushing for 300-plus yards, where their defense was bringing back interceptions for touchdown returns as they did for against USC or bringing back a kick return as they did uh, against USC for a touchdown. So he basically needs the pieces around him to work, and that's okay on Sunday. But when you are graded as highly as Herbert was coming into the season, you know, you got to be more than a game manager. you got to show that you can carry the offense on his shoulders. And, you know, Herbert has never, never done that. You know, he's still going to go very early because he's got the physical skills. He's got a, a pocket passer body, but he's got the mobility and agility to pick up yardage with his legs or get outside the pocket and make good throws on, on the move. Where we're at right now, I think that, and I said this again during the Pro Football Network game day blog, Justin Herbert's got to go to the senior bowl. I mean, if Justin Herbert wants to go early, he's got to go to the senior bowl. He's got to have a good week of practices. He's got to interview well because, as Chris and I you know, will tell you, those senior bowl interviews are as important as the combine interviews. He's got to have a Daniel Jones type of week. He's got to have a Carson Wentz type of week. You know, If he signs with an agent and they don't go to the senior bowl, I think that's a major disservice. But where are we with Justin Herbert? Well, we're the same place where we, where we were a year ago when we talked about a very blasé fair uh, performance against Washington. If you remember our conversation back in, I believe that was October, uh, early November of 2018. Yeah. And I mean, you can't not progress on the college level. You said it's okay on Sundays to be carried by your teammates and that's all well and good, but you have to get to the point where you are a viable Sunday player that is allowed to rely on his teammates. And in order to be that player, you can't be that player in college to put it that simply. I mean, whatever it is with Herbert, and, you know, we've talked in the past on the show about his introverted personality. Um, you know, he went back to school. People thought it was because his brother's the tight end there coming into school. Other people thought it was a personality thing. I mean, we talk about Miami and their team just being flat out arrogant. Well, I, I might want to see that a little bit from Justin Herbert and just kind of put the pedal to the metal, get that confidence boost because out of all the players that deserve it in terms of their physical tools, he's right there. He should be that dude, but we just haven't seen it. Yeah. You know, when Marcus Mariota came out, I, I thought that he was going to be a better quarterback than Jameis Winston. I thought he had the physical skills were right there with Jameis Winston, but I thought he had it going on between the ears, but what he didn't have was that fiery personality. He didn't have that sort of, you know, gung ho type of, you know, I'm going to carry this team. I see the same thing with Herbert. I've told this, this story a number of times the past two weeks when people have asked me about Herbert during national interviews. And at the beginning of his sophomore season, there was a Thursday night game against Wyoming. And it was a game that people were really stoked for because Josh Allen of Wyoming was playing. Josh Allen had come off a bad game against Iowa at the beginning of the season. Everyone was looking for Josh Allen to rebound. Well, and that game, the, the big winner of that game was Justin Herbert. I mean, Justin Herbert, early in his sophomore season in Oregon, just beat the crap out of Wyoming and really looked like a franchise quarterback. I remember sitting here and texting with a West Coast scout who was at that game. It was like a Thursday night game. Uh, it was Thursday night or Friday night game. And say, hey, you know, Justin Herbert looks like the guy who should be the very early first-round pick, not Josh Allen. And the fact is, is I've never seen that Justin Herbert again. I, I've never seen that guy who really went into Wyoming – whipped the, uh, his opponents and really carried his team on the shoulders and, and looked like that top-rated quarterback. I, I've not seen it. I've seen a guy who 
up until this week, plays mistake-free football. You know, doesn't force the issue. But I've just I have not seen that guy since uh, two thousand the uh, Wyoming game early in the two thousand seventeen season. Now, before we look ahead to next week, some draft rumblings around Colorado State wide receiver Warren Jackson. Now, the Rams put two receivers into the league from this year's draft. Preston Williams obviously went undrafted, mostly due to a litany of off-field issues. Ola B.C. Johnson went in the seventh round. He's actually played well as late as the Vikings' number three and sometimes number two receiver with Adam Thielen in and out of the lineup. Both of these guys have exceeded rookie year expectations that were placed on him. We'll move back to Jackson here, looking at the history of the program, looking at his performance, looking at the potential for him to come out into the draft. What are you hearing about Jackson, Tony? I'm hearing exactly that. There's a very good chance that Warren Jackson enters the draft. He's in the midst of a a sensational campaign, 69 receptions for 1,035 receiving yards, seven touchdowns. That's more than double every category from last year, except for touchdowns when he had four touchdowns last year. They still have another game on the schedule. He's a big, tall possession wide out, wins out for the contested throws. He's the type of receiver that with the graduation of all the BC Johnson and defection of the NF, uh, defection of Preston Williams to the NFL, he is the guy out there. Teams know he's getting the ball, yet they can't stop him. So it'll come down to, you know, his actual height weight. I think he's a guy that's probably going to come in at about six foot five, 212, 215 pounds. And then you got to see how he runs, how he runs in the 40. What's his 10 time like? How is he running those uh, routes uh, during pre-draft workouts? Or is he just a guy who, you know, physically beats down opponents to come away with the reception? Uh, he's a big guy. He's an opposing-looking guy. He's having a tremendous season. And everything I've heard – from people out West and people who really aren't even out West, but are familiar with the Colorado state program is that Warren Jackson is very likely, I would say about 75 to 80% right now to make himself eligible for the 2020 NFL draft. Now over our past few shows, we've discussed a bunch of senior bowl invites today. We're going to focus on the East West shrine game guys that aren't going to be drafted as highly for the most part or as often as their counterparts in Mobile. But there's still plenty of talent, especially in this year's class, that's going to play in St. Pete, including many players that we've talked about this season. And one of those is a guy we already talked about on this show. You mentioned before that James Morgan will be at the Shrine game. Colorado quarterback Steven Montez, the guy we talk about very often, will be there. Some intriguing skill players like Oregon wide receiver Juwan Johnson, Rhode Island wide receiver Aaron Parker, Minnesota running back Rodney Smith, and his teammate, wide receiver Tyler Johnson, who many are probably surprised is going to the Shrine game rather than the Senior Bowl. There are also going to be some solid offensive linemen there, Michigan guard Michael Onwenu, Missouri tackle Yasir Durant, Utah tackle Darren Paulo, all guys we've taken a look at at some point this year on this show. And that's just the offensive players, Tony, of the guys I mentioned and also of some of the players that I didn't. Who are you most interested in watching? when you go down to St. Pete in January? Oh, there's a couple of guys, but there are some things, you know, that the Shrine game will tell us. First thing from the quarterback uh, crop, I'm really looking forward to seeing Kevin Davidson. He was a guy who somewhere in October at Pro Football Network, he was my small school sleeper. And he's a guy who has all the physical skills, first year starter, uh, can basically play in any system. He's got a big time arm. He's He's a stout quarterback, just needs experience. I don't know if Kevin Davison gets drafted. I could see him going in the late rounds and then making a practice squad uh, next season. Uh, Van Jefferson of uh, Florida, excited to see him, not only as a receiver, but also as a return specialist. 
interested in seeing uh, Juwan Johnson, uh, who's had his share of moments this year at Oregon. I uh, liked him a lot when he was at Penn State. Uh, James Proch of uh, SMU is going to be a, a guy to keep an eye on. As far as the offensive line is concerned, uh, Cole Cabral, who played a good game against Oregon on Sunday, versatile lineman. You want to see his uh, athleticism. From the defensive side of the ball, Cameron Brown of uh, Penn State. See how he does in coverage drills. Tall guy who gets who's kind of forceful up the field, but want to see uh, you know if he can stay with the running backs and as well as the tight ends in coverage. Uh, and Patrick Nelson, the uh, sort of safety from SMU, who's used up at the line of scrimmage and basically makes a lot of plays behind the line, a lot of tackles for loss, a lot of sacks, forces the action. He's going to be an interesting guy to watch. Now, going back to your comment about Tyler Johnson, you know, the Shrine game often tells us how even though guys may be highly rated in the Internet world, you know, in the world of Twitter or whatever, they're not as highly rated by NFL scouts. And you see that with Tyler Johnson, uh, the receiver from Minnesota. You see that with Mitchell Wilcox, the tight end from South Florida. You see that with James Robinson the running back from Illinois, James Robinson was considered a, a middle round, fourth round pick at one point in time, really did not have the, the second half of the season that scouts expected. Some thought early on he could go to the senior ball. It's going to end up in the shrine game. You know, Tyler Johnson, I never had Tyler Johnson rated higher than the fifth round selection. He's a very good receiver. He's a good route runner. People question his speed. People question whether or not he's going to be anything more than a number four receiver at the next level. Mitchell Wilcox, here's a guy that some people were grading as a top 45 pick. Mitchell Wilcox is potentially a very good number two tight end at the next level. So what the Shrine game often tells us is, even though sometimes you see some of these guys, like Tyler Johnson, so highly rated in mock drafts or wherever it may be, scouts just, you know, don't think as highly of these guys. Doesn't mean they don't like them, just they don't think as highly as many of them which is why they end up at St. Petersburg, which is still a viable scouting event. I love going to the Shrine game. I love going to the practices there. It's a great uh, area to go to. St. Pete's is fantastic. And it's, you, we've seen some good players come out of the Shrine game, whether it be Jimmy Garoppolo, whether it be Teron Armstead. Uh, they, they do have talent there. But, you know, sometimes you see guys on the Internet graded as top 45 picks, top 60 picks. And when they're at the Shrine game, that tells you that NFL scouts don't think as highly of them. And there's always the opportunity for these guys to go down to St. Pete and just stand out above the crowd and then end up getting an invite to the Senior Bowl anyway, whether it's replacing an injured player or someone who backed out of an acceptance, whatever it may be. There are players every single year that perform at the Shrine Game and get called up to the Senior Bowl. Now, it's not necessarily the guys that you thought might have gone to the Senior Bowl, then end up at the Shrine Game. A lot of times it is a small school guy who comes in and just proves himself against the higher level of competition, and teams want to see him at an even higher level of competition, so he gets the call up. So it's not out of the realm of possibility that you know something like that could happen for a Tyler Johnson or a Mitchell Wilcox, but it just makes it a little bit more of an uphill battle. Uh, Jimmy Moreland last year. I mean, Jimmy Moreland, the defensive back from James Madison, was sensational. Uh, during the Shrine game. I mean, and he came in with significantly lower grades than any of the guys I just mentioned, whether it be Tyler Johnson, Mitchell Wilcox, or James Robinson. But he was so good at the uh, Shrine game. He eventually uh, came in, I believe, midweek to the Senior Bowl. So you're, you're right on about that. Now we'll get to our previews for the final week of regular season college football in just a moment. But before we do, 
Please support the Draft Analyst by subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or any of the big podcast platforms. You can also find us at Believe.com. Leave us a rating and a review. If you have any questions you want answered on the show, tweet us at Chris Tripodi, at Tony Pauline, and at Believe Podcasts to get in touch. Now, back in July on episode number 78 of our show, we spoke with Nebraska's Carlos Davis about a bunch of different things, namely the challenges of moving between nose tackle and defensive end in his years with the Huskers. Another was playing with his twin brother, Khalil, who's having a very nice season on the other side. In between them, Oklahoma State transfer Darian Daniels is a guy who's taken over at the tackle position, which has allowed Davis, Carlos Davis, I should say, to kick back outside two defensive ends in his new role. He's got a career-high four-and-a-half tackles for loss and four sacks. Now, him and Khalil are going to get a matchup against Iowa, and obviously the Hawkeyes have two bookend tackles in right tackle Tristan Wirfs and left tackle Alaric Jackson. Should be a nice challenge to see what both of these Davises can do, but especially for Carlos. Yeah, and I get the idea, based on our interview with Carlos Davis over the summer, that he's probably a little bit disappointed uh, in the results this year, and his results as well as the team results, because, you know, when we spoke with him, he was point on saying that, you know, my position this year is to make plays behind the line of scrimmage. You know, basically sacks and tackles for us. Numbers have been okay. They really haven't been that great. And the fact is, we're seeing another guy who is going to be playing the Shrine game. So it gives you an idea as to, you know, what scouts think of him or are not as high on him as maybe we thought uh, they could have been or should have been had he had a, a bigger uh, campaign. Again, you know, the times when he's matched up against Tristan Wirfs or Alaric Jackson, those are the times you got to watch him. You got Those are the times you got to watch Carlos Davis. Worse, if he enters the draft, is going to be a top 10 selection. I'm hearing there's a very good possibility he stays around for a senior season. I can't see Alaric Jackson entering the draft, but if he does, he's a second-day pick. So this is a huge, uh, this is a, a huge challenge for Carlos Davis, who, you know, is still out of place in the three-four that Nebraska plays. He's more of a three-technique tackle, and I think he'll, he'll find a good niche, niche there at the next level for a team that uses that type of defensive tackle. He's athletic, he's explosive, uh, but he really doesn't have a great strength in the point of attack. He's not not really a great edge rusher. Um, but again, I, I think he's going to want to finish off. Uh, the season on a high note uh, since Nebraska is probably not going to be going to a bowl game and, and basically face off against the, uh, the top offensive tackles. And we talked to him about it. I mean, during our interview, you know, I asked him if he had watched these guys and he said that he knew about Tristan Wirfs uh, over the summer, but he had not really keyed on him or really had not done much film work on him at the time, which is understandable. Now from the trenches to the air, we'll go to the apple cup between Washington and Washington state Everybody talks about Jacob Eason when you're looking at the quarterbacks in this game, but Anthony Gordon has had a very big season after he won the starting job over Gage Gabrud in training camp. 45 touchdown passes, 4,920 passing yards. Both of those numbers lead FBS football, 71.3 completion percentage, also 14 interceptions, which is not a great number, doesn't lead the nation, but pretty close, and that's not a number you want to lead the nation in. He will get a test, though, in this one against the Washington secondary back on September 28th when Gordon and Washington state played Utah. He was 30 of 49, which looks decent on paper, but only 252 yards, one touchdown and two interceptions. Now we've talked ad nauseum on this show about the challenges that the Utah secondary poses for opponents. I believe they're top 10 in pass defense 
in the nation. And that's actually the only top 50 pass defense that Gordon has faced all year because balls fill the air in the Pac-12. I mean, I think there's half of the bottom 10 teams in pass defense play in the Pac-12. So he's had a lot of easy matchups to pad those numbers. Washington, though, ranks more in the middle of the pack. I think they were 57th overall. It's still his second toughest test of the year. Cornerback Keith Taylor is a guy we've previously discussed. He's played well, may end up entering the draft as well. So it's now time to see what Gordon has against a pass defense that may not be elite like Utah's where him and his team are kind of overmatched, but it's also not awful like the rest of the Pac-12 where he can just light up the scoreboard without any resistance. Gordon is getting a lot of positive vibes and positive feedback in the scouting community. Uh, His story kind of parallels Gardner Minshew from a year ago. I mean, a guy who was basically unknown, wasn't known to be the starter, then came in and just lit the world on fire. I fully expect Gordon to get an invite to a postseason game, very likely the senior bowl, because here's a guy who no one knew about him before the uh, season began. Right now, you're talking about, you know, a day three sort of selection. Uh, Granted, he benefits from that wide open offense, but he's making positive plays. And yeah, the interceptions uh, number is not that great. But I mean, when you put that many balls in the air, when you throw that many passes up, you you know, all of your numbers are going to be exaggerated. And and this guy's going to go over 5,000 yards uh, during the Washington game. Uh, so uh, Gordon is somebody to watch. Like you said, Taylor, I'm hearing very likely to enter the draft, whether it's the pressure up front that's applied by the Husky defense, whether it's their back seven who have athletic guys who can cover, or the fact that he really has marginal receivers. It's going to be a big challenge for Gordon, but this is not the end. I mean, Washington State, if they win the game, they're going to be in the bowl game. And I expect to see Gordon play in a postseason scouting event, quite possibly the senior bowl. Now we'll move back to the Big Ten for a matchup between two teams who we've also discussed a couple times this season. I mean, hey, it's been three months. We're going to be repeating some teams. It's just going to happen. Wisconsin came up earlier on this particular show, though, but that was looking at the defensive side of the ball with Zach Bowden and Chris Orr. Now we're going to take a look at the offensive side with running back Jonathan Taylor and tight end Jake Ferguson. Now these guys are players to watch every week, but more so than usual this week, because of Minnesota linebacker Kamal Martin, a senior bowl invite who's got 57 tackles and two interceptions this season. Thomas Barber also roams the middle of that Gophers defense at linebacker. So we kind of have a strength versus strength matchup here between a running back and a tight end and a very highly rated running back and tight end at that compared to a couple potential day three linebackers. What do you expect to see in this matchup, Tony? Basically, Martin's going to have everything thrown at him. And Martin has played well this year. It's sort of like Blake Cashman played well last year, ended up as a fifth-round pick of the New York Jets, and is really having a terrific rookie season. I mean, Martin's shown himself as a guy who is a tough run defender. He's got decent ball skills, two interceptions, uh, three pass defenses this year. He plays physical football, really works hard to get involved in the action. Game is definitely on the upswing. It's a different game against Wisconsin. I mean, both both of these teams really need to win because they want to be playing Ohio State in that Big Ten title game. Uh, so, uh, you know, Taylor is a ter- terrific downhill runner. And it, when in, in the open field, he's got the speed to run away from uh, opponents. Same thing with Ferguson. Ferguson's got deceptive speed. 
He's a big move tight end. It's going to cause a big mismatch problem for Kamal Martin. We're going to learn a lot about Martin in this game. We're going to learn about how he handles Jonathan Taylor and if he has enough skill and athleticism to cover a guy like Jake Ferguson. And that's it for the 97th episode of The Draft Analysts presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe on any of the major podcast platforms and leave us a rating and a review. And feel free to ask us questions on Twitter that we'd be happy to answer on the show. As a reminder, head over to profootballnetwork.com to check out all of Tony's work, including game previews in the next couple of days, the Saturday Live blog that he's referenced a few times on this show, and his weekly risers and sliders early next week after the games. For Tony Pauline, this is Chris Tripodi. We're wishing you and your families a very happy Thanksgiving. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.